to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian, where we talk about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Dive right in as we wrestle with what it means to live out our faith in the world. My friends, welcome to the Lady Preacher Podcast. This is your host, Reverend Kelsey Beebe, and we are continuing on in this series of parables. Before we dive into that, I want to make sure I let you know about something we have coming up. So last year, I was looking for an Advent devotional. I really struggled to find one that fit both a progressive theology, I used more inclusive language, and really felt like it connected to my life. And so I decided to write my own. And then I wrote another one for Lent. And now I am writing another one for this year's Advent, but I'm doing it with a friend, Reverend Delaney Schlake Cruz. So Pastor Delaney and I are writing this Advent devotional together and it will be available for download soon. Uh, If you are not already getting our weekly devotional that I send out on Monday mornings, I encourage you to go to dancingpastor.org and sign up for that. And there will be more information there, or you can find us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries and I'll post about it there. And you can find out more about how to get access to this devotional. It will be available for a PDF download. um, So you'll be able to get it right away. So don't feel like, you know, we're getting too close up to Advent for you to get one in the mail. This will be just right. It'll come right to your email. You just download it and you can print it out yourself. I wanted to make sure you knew that was coming up. So again, be sure to sign up for our newsletter on the website, dancingpastor.org, or keep an eye on that website for more information. Or again, find us on Facebook. Today's passage is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And this is the parable of the tenants. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, 
you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the 10 talents. For to all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I invite you to pray with me. Beloved and gracious God, I give you thanks for this time to study your word. I ask that you be with the person listening. Watch over them. May they feel your grace and comfort wrapped around them. May their heart and spirit be filled with your strength and your grace. Holy God, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds and fill our well today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a priest named Barbara Brown Taylor, and if you haven't read her books, I encourage you to do so. But there's a thing she says about parables that I think is particularly apt for today. She says, how you hear a parable has a lot to do with where you are hearing it from. And I'll say that again. How you hear a parable has a lot to do with where you are hearing it from. And she doesn't mean like if you're hearing this story from Georgia, it's going to change how you hear it if you're hearing it from France. What she's talking about is a little larger than that. And our, our geographic location matters here, but social location is what she's talking about. Our social location is not just about geographic, but where we are in society and um, what kind of what our identity is. So for example, I, my social location is that I am a young white woman, cisgendered, straight in my late twenties. I grew up on the West coast of the United States of America in a upper middle-class family. I never wanted for a meal on my table. I am a college graduate with a professional degree, two professional degrees, all of these things affect how I'm going to read a parable or how I'm going to read scripture in general. My social location affects the color of the lens with which I will read a text and interpret a text. In fact, when I was in school, the first thing they have you do before you even start to interpret scripture for a particular scripture is to identify your social location and how your social location might impact how you are going to read and interpret a text. Because it does inform our understanding, it informs our reading. For example, this parable, if I read it from a wealthy perspective, from a very privileged perspective, I may likely align God with the slave master. I will try to identify where God is in the story and I'll say, oh, God is the slave master. But what if it's different? What if we're reading from a different social location here? What if we read this from a social location as someone whose ancestors were slaves? 
What if we read it from the perspective of a small farm owner who has been taken advantage of by corporate farming? You see, the, the typical understanding of this parable is from that wealthier perspective, aligning God with the slave master. And I will tell you right now that my friends who take issue with Christianity will 99% of the time point to this parable in particular as evidence of the Bible clearly supporting slavery. Because the typical interpretation of God as the slave master means that God has been in this position of slave master. And what people have interpreted this particular parable to mean is that God has entrusted us with many talents. God has entrusted us with money or with assets. God has trusted us with spiritual gifts, like the ability to teach or to do math, you know, you name it. And we are to take these gifts and use them for the benefit of the kingdom. We are to take them and multiply and that that's beautiful. But what if that takes this parable completely out of its original context? What if we shift our understanding, reading the parable instead from this perspective of someone maybe whose ancestors were slaves or someone who uh, is a small farm owner? And it's from this particular perspective that I want us to dig in today. In this parable, we have a master who has three slaves. These three slaves in particular are like the middlemen. So this master is a, a large landowner. And the, the three slaves are like the middlemen who oversee the business. They oversee the land. They manage the workers. They collect debts. Um, they essentially keep things going for the master. We know from one of the first sentences of this parable that the master is going on a journey. He's entrusting his property in particular with these three slaves. And it's generally understood that kind of like tax collectors, these middlemen could gain wealth by hiking up interest or um, charging additional fees. And I, I want to pause here for a moment that so much of my message today is coming from the blog Journeying with Jesus her writing hugely informed my sermon. So I will be sure to link to that in the show notes today because you should read it. In fact, honestly, you could just turn this off and, and go read that. It's so brilliant. But I, I just wanted to put that out there that so much of what I'm sharing with you today comes from her. And that's journeying with Jesus. Anyway, so we have these three slaves, these three middlemen, and they're given a certain amount of talents. One is given five, the other is given two, and the third is given one. And we've talked about talents before on this podcast, but I want to break it down again so that we really have an idea of what's happening here. So a single talent is worth 15 to 20 years of day labor. So think 20 years worth of working for minimum wage. And we tend to think of talents as small coins, but they're pretty large pieces of gold or silver. And they could weigh anywhere from 80 to 130 pounds. So these things are, are quite hefty. And so you can imagine that these talents were really only possessed by the elite, their form of, of the 1%. So this gives us an idea really of how much exorbitant wealth that this master had. 
it's extremely important too to understand when reading this parable that this wealthy landowner got his wealth largely on the backs of exploiting other workers, exploiting smaller landowners. So wealthier landowners think like big corporate farms, for example, lent money to smaller farms who might be struggling to get by. So think small family farms that struggle to get by when maybe there's a drought or flooding, or maybe they had a tough season and didn't have a great harvest. And so they're, they're struggling to get by. And so out of desperation, they take out a loan from this wealthier landowner. And they are lended this money at exorbitant interest rates. So anywhere from 80 to 200% interest rates, which is just horrendous. And then the wealthy landowners would systematically strip these smaller farm owners of their land because they wouldn't be able to pay back this loan because it's such a huge interest rate that they'd eventually fall into greater and greater debt. And they would end up having to sell their land to this wealthier landowner and then would end up as a poor day laborer slaving away on his own ancestor's land. So this is the kind of scenario we are working with here. A wealthy landowner gives three of his most trusted workers a certain amount of talents that he has largely owned from exploiting smaller farmers. And then he expects these three of his most trusted workers to reap a profit for him. The woman who wrote Journeying with Jesus put it this way. A wealthy member of the 1% gives a huge sum of money to three trusted workers to essentially play jackpot with, saying, go and make me more money. And the thing we have to remember is, is that these three trusted slaves know how to play the game. They know that the more money that they make for their slave owner, the more money they also get to keep for themselves. Their success is tied to his. They're in his inner circle. They are quite privileged. They're his three most trusted advisors. And so one is given five talents, the other two, and the last is given one. Which, remember, this is just a huge amount of money. But those who were given five talents and two talents made their profits double. We don't know what practices they might have done to do so, but they did. When the master returns, he tells them, enter into my joy. When they show him that they have made his profits double, he says, enter into my joy. And my understanding of joy here is that it's about profit. It's about wealth. Like here's a bonus for everything you just made. I, I kind of imagine it like, um, you know, a movie scene where a wealthy, corrupt man opens the door to a huge room of gold saying, welcome, come into my joy. All of this can be yours. But the slave who is given one talent does something entirely different. He knows that his boss is greedy. He knows that his boss is corrupt. He knows that his boss reaps where he does not sow and takes advantage of the poor. He knows that he has been taking advantage of these poor landowners, again, reaping where he does not sow. And so what he does is he buries the talent. He sees the corrupt practices and he decides this is no longer something I want to be a part of. He opts out. And the amazing thing is, is that he doesn't just opt out silently. He's like a whistleblower. He's someone who has great 
proximity to power, great privilege. One of those three most trusted slaves. He could have kept going, taking advantage of this system that is clearly benefiting him off the backs of others. He could have continued in this exploitation and continued to benefit from it. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He takes a great risk and he calls out his master's corruption. Because when he comes forward with his one talent, he confronts his master and he says, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. I hid your talent in the ground. He calls it out. He saw the harsh practices of his master. He saw the corruption and greed. And he calls it out and names it for what it is. And then what did he do with his master's wealth? He takes it out of circulation so it can no longer cause harm. He buries it. He buries it. It reminds me of when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's because he gives it back. After he buries it, he gives it back and says, this is yours. I don't want any part of this. And he does all of this at a great cost. He knows that if he does this, he will lose his proximity to power. He knows that he will lose his wealth. He knows that he will be ostracized from this wealthier community. He knows the cost. He knows that speaking out against this corruption would lead to his detriment. And that's exactly what happens because his master throws him out. It says in the text, as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness. He is literally thrown out. He's tossed out. But this man, this man is our example of faithfulness. If you go and read this article from Journeying with Jesus, she'll tell this story about when she read this parable to her son, her young son. He said, oh, I love that story. It's exactly what Christianity is about. The third slave is the hero. The third slave is the hero because he sees corruption and speaks up. He sees that the poor and disenfranchised are being taken advantage of, and he speaks up. When Jesus says that this is an image of the kingdom of God, we have to remember the kingdom of God is both here and coming. And that we are to be a part of that coming kingdom. And we do that by our faithfulness. We do that by following Christ's example. And this is Christ's example. Following the lead of this third servant who speaks up. For those of you who say the Lord's prayer, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of making that kingdom come. And doing so is following the lead of this third servant. Doing so is risking our own privilege, whatever privilege we may carry, and risking it to name what is wrong and to stand up for what is right. It's about opting out of systems of oppression and exploitation, especially when we benefit from them, naming them for what they are, and then working to make things better. It's about taking the risk of interrupting business as usual. It's taking the risk to throw a wrench in how things are always done for the sake of goodness 
and justice and love and mercy. It's being willing to say enough is enough when we know something is wrong, which is both brave and courageous. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not ever going to be in this position like this slave where I'm in this huge close proximity to a wealthy landowner and I'll, I'll call out their unjust practices. But we can bring this down to earth on maybe a more personal level for some of us. When we are in a room of people who are gossiping, we're on a Zoom call now <laughs> with people who are gossiping, we can choose to opt out and not just opt out, but we can choose to speak up and say something. When we see bullying happen, we can speak up and say something. When we see someone being taken advantage of, we can speak up and say something. When we see harm being done, we can say enough is enough and do something about it. We can protest. We can call our representatives. We can do lots of things, either on personal level or on a grander scale to make a difference and be like this third slave, to follow in the steps of Jesus, because this is the work of Christ. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, this, my friends, is the cross. When the slave is thrown out into the outer darkness, that is what happens to Jesus. For three years, Jesus was doing just as this third slave did. He called out injustice. He called out exploitation. He drove out moneylenders and called people into grace. This is what Jesus was about. What Jesus says all the time is to those who have little, much will be given. The last will be first. And that is the exact opposite of what this corrupt landowner says. That's our first clue that this landowner is not God. The landowner says, for to all those who have more will be given and they will have an abundance. But those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus tells us. And so my friends, what Jesus is telling us in this parable is not so much about God, but who we are called to be. The kind of example we are called to follow the kind of risk we are called to take. My friends, just after telling this parable, not long after, Jesus is hung on the cross. That is the risk. That is him being thrown out into the outer darkness like this third slave. But here's the good news. The good news is that they thought they could kill him. They thought they could bury him, but they were wrong. Because the kingdom of God is so much bigger than that. The love and the mercy of God is so much bigger than that. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of that work in the world. We get to be a part of the work of justice and goodness and mercy and grace. What a gift, what a gift and what a beautiful responsibility. Amen. 
My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries. And you can find us online at dancingpastor.org or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.